Good morning. You may be wondering, where's Josh Green? Some of you know by that chuckle I heard. Uh, well, this Friday, with the snowfall, which was awesome, many of us with kids went sledding, and the Greens did as well, and um, did not go well for Josh. He ended up hitting his side on a tree and bruised some ribs. So he's in pain this morning, probably watching online, and so uh, he's, he's not going to be with us today. So be praying for him, that his ribs heal up quickly, and that he's able to get back here with us. So we are not going to be in the Gospel of John, as the bulletin says. I'm going to invite you to open up to the book of Hebrews, and we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 6. I'm sure you all have heard of this thing called the internet, and there's a lot of funny stuff on there these days. I recently saw this video, and it looked like these people were set up in a local park, and they built this giant box, and it was just, you know, spray painted, it was real colorful, and it had a hole in one side. And right above the hole, it just said in giant letters, do not look in the hole. And you know exactly where this is going. They've got hidden cameras like all through the park and they're just watching people that walk up. They see this. They obviously read the words. I mean, it's so big, you can't miss it. And curiosity gets the best of them, right? They peek in the hole and then bam, smashed in the face with a pie. And they get mad and like, what? What is that all about? And the response really should just be, we warned you, don't look in the hole. And you did, and so you got what was coming. But they were warned. All the people in that video that ended up looking in the hole and getting a pie in the face, they knew that if, if they were to look, something probably misfortunate was gonna happen. And sure enough, it did. Warnings are good for us. Warnings are all around us. You see it on the road as you drive. If you're coming up to a curvy stretch, there's usually a sign that awares you, makes you aware of that and tells you to slow down. Warnings are all around us and they're good. In the book of Hebrews, there's a bunch of warnings. The book of Hebrews has five warnings in particular, and they're warning us, not about a road that's swervy or maybe getting hit in the face with a pie, but they're warning us about something far more serious than that. The book of Hebrews warns us about turning away from Christ. So we're gonna look at one of these warnings this morning. Now, I think it will be helpful to give you a little bit of background on the book of Hebrews as a whole. Because if you don't understand the whole argument of the book of Hebrews, these warnings don't make as much sense. So to give you a little bit of context, there's really one massive theme for the book of Hebrews. And that big theme is Jesus is better. And so there's a lot of comparisons in the book of Hebrews. And he starts in chapter one by talking about how Jesus is better than the angels. And one of the things, even before I get to those, those comparisons, right, one of the things you need to understand about Hebrews is that it's written to an audience that's primarily Jewish and they've experienced hardship as a result of being a follower of Jesus. I was glad to see in that video that that individual, whoever that was, talked about the place that they were doing ministry that there are real serious consequences to following Jesus. 
he said that they are raised from birth and they are taught that Jesus is not the Son of God, that he is not the Savior. And so for them to, as adults, start to believe what the Bible teaches, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Savior who takes away their sins, means they will be cut off from their family. And as many of us know, family matters a lot. I know people personally from other parts of the world that have told me, We've had religious conversations, and I said, what would it look like in your life if you were to become a Christian? And they told me something very similar. Our families would never talk to us again. We would be completely cut off. You see, in our part of the world, we don't often have that. There may be some of that here, but not as much as in other places in the world. But we need to be reminded that sometimes... There are serious consequences that we feel in this life for being a follower of Jesus. That is a reality, and that's something that's being dealt with by the people who are reading this letter of Hebrews. In chapter 10 of Hebrews, you read this. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened or come to a knowledge of the truth about Jesus, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. And so you see, he's saying right there, he's talking to the people who are reading this letter, and he's saying, you all have endured some hardship for the sake of following Jesus. And he said, you've had your property plundered, you've been publicly exposed to reproach, and you've faced affliction. And so these are people who have dealt with hardship for the sake of following Jesus. And these warnings, when you understand that context, are a little bit more, they make a little more sense. Because these warnings are telling the the people who are reading it. And these warnings are meant to tell everyone who reads the book of Hebrews even today. There may be hardship in this life. There may be difficulty in following Jesus. But do not leave him. If you turn away to relieve your suffering, to relieve the hardship that you face as a result of being a follower of Jesus. He says, you will only be let down by whatever it is that you turn to. So that is the basis of these warnings. Now, like I said, there's a lot of comparison here in the book of Hebrews. And so he begins in chapter one by comparing Jesus to the angels And so back in chapter one, he says that Jesus is superior to the angels. Look at chapter one, verse four. He's talking about Jesus and he says, he's having become as much superior to the angels as the name he's inherited is more excellent than theirs. So he's saying Jesus is better than the angels. Now that seems like a weird comparison to us, but we have to understand that in the New Testament, there's this understanding that the Old Testament law Right, which is the way that people lived in the Old Testament, that it was given to them by angels. In the book of Acts, we see Stephen, who is the first martyr of the church. He's given this speech right before uh, the, the Jews stone him and kill him. And he says in Acts chapter 7, verse 53, he says, you who received the law as delivered by angels did not keep it. So Stephen has this understanding that the Old Testament law is seen as being given by angels. And Paul in Galatians 3.19 says, Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions 
until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. And so Paul also, talking about this Old Testament law, says it was put in place by angels. So now the author of Hebrews is saying the Old Testament law, while it was good and useful for what it was used for in the Old Testament, Jesus is better than that. And that is the basis of what these people are being tempted to return to. They're tempted to go back to Judaism, to back to keeping the laws that were given in the Old Testament. And the author of Hebrews is saying, Jesus is better than that. Don't don't go back to that. That's gonna let you down. Jesus is better. He then goes on to say that Jesus is better than Moses. He tells us that Moses was simply just a servant who served God, but Jesus is the son, Hebrews chapter three. Verses five and six say this. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we all understand. Servants, if they serve well, if they're really awesome at what they do, they're gonna be spoken highly of, they're gonna be taken care of. But a son has so much more value than a servant. The son is so much better, and he's making that comparison to Moses. So if you're tempted to go back to the ways of Moses, right? He's the one who received the law on the mountain and brought it down to the people. If you're tempted to go back and follow after him and his way, Jesus is better. He then talks a little bit about Joshua, and Joshua is the one who led the Israelites into the promised land and gave them rest. And he says in Hebrews chapter four, verses eight and nine, he said, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And so he's saying if Joshua had given them the true, real rest that they were looking for, then there would be no conversation about a future rest that is to come. And the reality is there is still a future rest that we are waiting for. And Jesus is the one who gives that, not Joshua. And so then at the end of chapter four, he begins this conversation about Jesus being a high priest. And he's saying Jesus is a better high priest than the, old, than the high priests in the Old Testament. And again, Hebrews is very much so Old Testament heavy. If you don't know your Old Testament, you need to have a general understanding to really make sense of a lot of what he says here in Hebrews. But he's making the point that Jesus is a high priest and Jesus as a high priest is much superior to the high priest that we read of in the Old Testament. And now we get to chapter six. So before he really gets into this conversation about Jesus as a high priest, he gives this warning. He gives this warning and he starts really in in chapter five, verse 11. So we're gonna read chapter five, verse 11, down through chapter six, verse eight. He says, about this, we have much to say. He's talking about Jesus as a high priest. And it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. 
and of instruction about washings and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance." since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. That's a heavy passage. But this is the third warning that is given here in the book of Hebrews. And the first thing that you notice in this warning is our first point this morning, and that is that maturity matters. Christian maturity matters. As believers, we should always be moving in the direction of growing in Christ-like maturity. My oldest is about to turn eight years old. His birthday's next month. And when he was first born, so this is 2016, he was a small baby. I mean, he was average for like birth size. But once we started going to the pediatrician, you know, uh, anyone who's got little children, you know, you go there a lot. Uh, you go to the pediatrician and they weigh, they weigh the baby every time and they measure them, right? They're trying to track the growth. And they have this thing called a growth chart. And man, when they plot that, that, that point on the growth chart and they show it to you and they're like, all right, your, children is, your child is in the 50th percentile, which means they're right smack dab in the middle, right? And so when we had our baby, we go and everything looking good and every subsequent visit, he's falling on the growth chart. And, you know, this is the first time with a kid. We don't, we don't really know what we're doing. You know, the first kid's very experimental for all of you firstborns out there, represent, Right, Your parents had no idea what they were doing with you, and so that's why you are the way you are. And so that's why our oldest is the way that he is. Right, And so especially with a little baby, and the, the pediatrician is telling us that, ah, I don't know, he's fallen on that growth chart. We're super concerned. Every time we go to the pediatrician, the nurses are like, are you feeding this baby? What's going on? You know. And so we're super concerned, and we're like so frustrated, and it was the worst experience for Samantha. And then as soon as he turned six months old and we started like giving him regular food, kid blew up like a balloon. And if you've been here since Graham was a little baby, you probably remember that, right? He became a little, a little chunker. And it was the exact same way with all three of our boys. Graham, Jack, and crew were all the exact same way. As little babies, when they were just nursing, they were fairly small, small on the growth chart, and then as soon as they started eating regular food, they just exploded. And that's great. And we learned after the first kid, we're not going to this pediatrician anymore. We switched, and a much better experience ever since. But there's a genuine, natural concern when a child is not developing on track. And all of us maybe have some understanding of that. And if you see a little child who's maybe five or six years old, and they're still living on milk, they're still taking a bottle, that's a little bit concerning, because there are certain milestones of growth that are normal that we've just come to understand that, hey, a child is growing and they need to grow. If they stay in that infant stage for too long, that is reason for concern. 
And if we understand that with the physical growth of a human being, we certainly should understand that in the spiritual growth of a believer. And that if somebody is saying that they're a believer, but they're never growing in their Christian maturity, they're never learning more about Jesus, they're always just rehearsing the same basics of the Christian faith, that should be a reason for concern with their spiritual state. And so the author of Hebrews here is making it very clear that Christian maturity matters. He says in verse six, uh, chapter six, verse one, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, of faith toward God, instructions about washing, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of dead, and the eternal judgment. So he mentions six things here. And it seems to be, that there are three pairs of things that he mentions. The first is repentance and faith. He says, not laying again a foundation of repentance, toward, uh, repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Now, this is a very basic principle of what it means to be a believer. We must repent and believe. Multiple times in the New Testament, when people ask the 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 apostles, what must we do to be saved? Their response is repent and believe. That is a very basic thing that we believe as a church. If someone is going to follow Jesus, they must repent, and what the author of Hebrews says, repent from their dead works or works that lead to death, and they must have faith in Jesus. They must believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that there is no way to the Father except through him. That's very basic. Literally, that's what we say is should be talked about when you give a gospel presentation. There must be repentance and belief. That's one thing that he mentions. The next thing, a little bit less clear, he says instructions about washings and the laying on of hands, right? This washings, we are fairly confident that he's talking about baptism, all right? Peter talks about baptism as a sense of washing, right? You're washing the body, so that's probably what he's talking about with the washings. And then the laying on of hands. This is not something we do as much, but if you've ever seen us ordain someone, whether it's a pastor or a deacon, part of the service always includes all the other ordained people coming up and laying their hands on that individual. And what you'll see in the, in the New Testament a lot is people lay their hands on someone to set them apart for the work of ministry. Okay, you see this in the book of Acts oftentimes. Uh, it, Paul talks, about, talks to Timothy about this, right? We, uh, the elders laid their hands on you. Okay, and so that's setting apart people for the, for the work of ministry. And then he says, the resurrection from the dead and eternal judgment. And this is what we believe about the, the, what's gonna happen in the end, right? There's going to be a resurrection from the dead. Everyone who has died in Christ will be raised to new life and there will be an eternal judgment. There will be a judgment day where God will separate the sheep from the goats, okay, the weeds from the crop, and those who have trusted in him will be with him for all eternity, and those who have rejected him will go off into eternal judgment in hell. He mentions these six things as the basics of Christian doctrine. These are the basic things that we should know. Now, it's important that I point out, right? He says, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. He's not saying that we should abandon those things and say that those are old, we don't really need those anymore, let's get rid of them. What he is saying is that we should go on, right? Once that foundation has been laid, we should continue to build on it. We just had this building built for our food pantry. It's a great building. 
We're so thankful for it. It's very useful. And I don't know if many of y'all were around a whole lot while it was being built, but it was kind of fun every time you come to church to see the progress, to see what's been done next. And if we came and we saw that one Wednesday, the foundation had been completely done, right? It's ready for them to start building up, building the walls and the, the roof and all that. And then next Sunday we come and it's, the whole foundation's torn down. We'd be real puzzled. And then the next Wednesday we come back and the foundation's back. They rebuilt it. We're like, oh, okay, all right, maybe something was wrong. And then the next Sunday we come back and the foundation's destroyed. We would be really puzzled and we'd be pretty mad at that company that's doing that work because it makes no sense to build the foundation and then to tear it down and then to just continue rebuilding it. Tear it down, rebuild, tear it down, rebuild. That doesn't make any sense. Once the foundation is in place and it's set, what happens next? You start to see the building get built up. You start to see the walls go up. You start to see the roof go on. And he's saying we cannot continue to live in such a way that we're just relaying the same foundation over and over again. We're reminding ourselves that we need to repent and have faith in Jesus. We're reminding ourselves that we need to be baptized and that if someone's being set apart from ministry, we're laying hands on them. We need to be reminded of this eternal judgment and the resurrection from the dead. He's saying if all we do is just rehearse the basics of the Christian faith, you are not moving in the direction of maturity. And that's problematic. Every single day, we as Christians should be seeking to understand Jesus more. We should be seeking a deeper understanding of who he is, knowing him better. And so, we've got to ask ourselves, how can we grow in our maturity as believers? We should, we should ask this question. This is a good question for us to ask. A couple of things that I thought of and want to mention to you all, not a, by any means an exhaustive list, but one is we should read and study our Bibles. We should read and study our Bibles. That is one way that you are going to grow and mature as a believer. There's a lot of things in the Bible that are very simple and easy to understand. There are some things that are a little more difficult, that take a little bit more uh, brain power to kind of process, to think through, to figure out. But I'm telling you, it is absolutely worth our time to put in the effort to, to read the scriptures, to study them, and to understand them. If you do that, if you put in place a regular habit of reading your Bible and studying it, it is only going to aid in you becoming more and more mature as a believer. And that's the direction we should be moving in. We've got to be studying our Bible. We have to know what God has said to us. He's given us these 66 books of the Bible and in these 66 books, he has revealed himself to us. And if we want to know him, we've got to read it. We've got to study it. Another thing that we should do is to pray. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Praying is important. We want you all to be people who pray. I don't know if you make mental note of all the things that we do in our service, but we pray a lot in our service. And we're really not worried if people find that boring or weird. We recognize that we need God. And so we read his word as he reveals himself to us and we also pray and ask, God, help us understand, help us know you. If you're struggling to understand something you're reading in the Bible, pray and ask God to give you understanding. 
And then also reach out to somebody who may know, somebody who's here, somebody in leadership at our church, somebody who's more mature and knowledgeable. We should read our Bible, we should pray. We should regularly attend and be involved at church. That's one way that you're gonna grow as a believer. Being involved here at church. I just uh, taught the new members class. I filled in for Josh and we talked about the importance of the local church, the importance of membership in a local church, the importance of building one another up, encouraging one another. And one of the things that I even said about the encouragement that we need when we come together as a church is not to just pat each other on the back and say, hey, you're doing a great job, love you, glad you're here. One of the encouragements that we need when we come together as the church is to be reminded of what our hope is in, and that's in Jesus. You all, and and myself included, I need to be reminded each and every time we come together to worship that my hope is not in my bank account. My hope is not in any talents or abilities that I have. My hope is in Jesus and Jesus alone. And we all need to be reminded of that. We need to be regularly involved in attending church. And lastly, it goes along with being involved at church. We need to serve other people. We all are given gifts by the Holy Spirit And those gifts, the Bible tells us, are for the building up of the church and for serving one another. That is gonna help us grow as a mature believer as we read and study our Bible, as we pray to God, as we attend church, and as we serve one another, we are going to grow in big, massive ways. So it's important that we mature as believers. Maturity matters. But it's also important that we be warned of wandering. This is my second point today, that we need to be warned about wandering, wandering away from the truth. Now we get into the more difficult verses of this passage, verses four through six. He says, for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. So I just talked about the importance of growing as a mature believer. We need to be growing in that maturity, but what happens if we don't? If we are not moving in the direction of growing in Christian maturity, what is happening? There's a very real danger that if we're not growing, we are falling away. And that's what this warning is about here. What happens if I don't grow in my maturity as a believer? There's a real high likelihood that if you're not growing in maturity, you are falling away. Notice what he says about these people. He says, they've once been enlightened. Now, we don't have time to do a full study of what enlightened means, but Paul uses this term in lots of other places to talk about we've come to an understanding of the truth. We have seen who Jesus is, that he truly is the son of God and we've believed. So to be enlightened means to be a Christian. He've tasted the heavenly gift. Well, the heavenly gift is eternal life through Jesus, right? We've received a taste of that. We've shared in the Holy Spirit. They've tasted the goodness of the word of God. They've read the Bible. They know how good it is. And they've tasted the goodness of the powers of the age to come. It sounds to me like what this author is describing here in these verses is a Christian. Now, let's be real. 
Is everyone who goes to church a Christian? No, we know that. But it seems to be describing somebody that if we were to look from the outside, we would say, man, that's a, that's a Christian. That's a real deal person. They know the Bible, right? They, they understand all of these things that the Bible talks about. They, they have a good understanding. They seem to be mature believers. But then look what happens. Verse six. And then have fallen away. So it seemed to be that, hey man, they, they were enlightened. They tasted the heavenly gift. They've shared in the Holy Spirit. They've tasted the goodness of the word of God. And then... They fell away. Now, let me just make it clear that what I believe in the stance of our church is that if you are a real believer in Jesus, if you are trusting in him for salvation, if you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, you cannot lose your salvation. We do not believe that. Jesus says, all that the Father has given to me will come to me, and I will lose none of them whom the Father has given to me. You cannot lose your salvation as a real believer. But there are a lot of people that from the outside, they look like real, genuine believers, but they fall away. This is the big difference. The Bible says that if you are believing in Jesus, you must believe to the very end. Right, I talked about this back on December 31st when I preached about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. If you know the way and you're on the way to a certain destination and you get off the way before you get there, are you gonna make it? You're not. And the same is true about being a, a follower of Jesus. If you're following after Jesus but you depart before you get to heaven, then you didn't make it. And he's saying, here are people in the church that look very much so like real, genuine believers, but yet they have fallen away. I'm reminded about the parable of the sower in the Gospels, that sower goes out to sow some seed and some seed falls along the path and the birds, they, they eat it up before it has a chance to, to grow at all. And so there's no, no fruit, no growth. And then some falls on rocky soil. And if you remember, that one shoots up. And it starts to produce a nice little fruit, but then the sun comes up and the sun is so scorching hot and it fell among rocks. So there's no real root. And so there's no source of nutrients or, or water or anything like that. And so it quickly shrivels and dies. And then some, some seed falls among the thorns and it grows up and it looks like there's some really good fruit there, but then over time, the thorns choke it out. It seems to me that what he's talking about here in Hebrews 6 is he's saying there are people who look like that soil or look like the seed that fell among the rocks. There was fruit. It looked like a really good plant for a little while or the one that fell among the thorns. It looked like a really good plant for a little while. It was producing something, some kind of fruit, but then it died, but then it was choked out. Just because someone appears to be a Christian does not mean that they are. And the warning here in chapter six is to not turn away from Jesus. There are a lot of things that are tempting us for our time, for our energy, for our devotion. And it's real easy to be swayed one way or another. 
that, hey, this has a lot of promise here, right? Life is going to be good and everything's going to go well for you. You're not going to have hardship. You're not going to have difficulty. And so you see people have done it. They seem to be focused on Jesus and following after him, and then they start to drift a little bit. They start to turn away. They start to move their focus in a different direction. And before long, they've completely abandoned Jesus. And all of the warnings of Hebrews are warning us about this very thing. If you turn away to anything else, if you turn back to the Old Testament system, and if you think that's the way that you're gonna be made holy and and reach heaven, you are wrong. That system will fail you and let you down 100% of the time. And for anything that you and I might be tempted to turn to, the author of Hebrews is telling us the same thing. That will let you down. It will fail you 100 times out of 100. There is not any opportunity for that to get you to heaven, to get you to where you're wanting to go. And the warning of Hebrews is do not turn away from Jesus. He says in verse four, it is impossible to restore that person again to repentance. Now, why does he say it so strongly? Why does he say it's impossible? If we hear that something's impossible, it makes us wanna try it, don't we? To wanna prove somebody wrong, to do something that's never been done. He says, if you who are following after Christ turn away from him, abandon him, he says it's impossible to restore that person again to repentance. Because the author of Hebrews wants us to know how serious it is to turn away from Jesus. Do not think that I can turn away from Jesus for a short time and kind of do my own thing, go my own way, live how I want, and then, you know, before the end of my life, when I'm on my deathbed, I'll come back, I'll I'll make everything right, and we'll be good. The author of Hebrews is warning us If you're following Jesus and you think something else is better and you turn away, do not think that it's possible to come back because he says it's impossible. It's not happening. Verses seven and eight give us a little bit of an illustration. He says, for the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receive blessing from the Lord. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. So he says, you've got these two plots of land, and both plots of land receive rain or blessing from God. And he says, one plot of land produces useful fruit, and that land receives a blessing. If you plant whatever it is come springtime and you receive the the fruit, Whatever you grow and and you've got a lot of crop and it's a big blessing, you think, man, that's some good ground. I'm gonna plant there again next year. And if you've got a plot of land that receives the rain, the blessing from God, and it produces thorns and thistles, you're thinking, that's the worst land I've ever tried to plant in and I'm never planting there again. And that's the picture that it gives. God's blessing falls on us. Are you going to continue keeping your eyes on Jesus? Is God's blessing gonna lead you to trust him more or are you gonna turn away to something else? Because the first land that produced the good fruit receives blessing from the Lord. The second land is near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. There are dire consequences to turning away from Jesus. Unfortunately, 
the longer you live, you see more examples of it. And the book of Hebrews is warning us to not do it. Jesus is worth everything. He's worth every bit of hardship that this life may give. There is nothing else in this world, in this universe, that will offer you what Jesus offers you. Everything else will have big promises and it will fail every time. It will let you down. So the the author of Hebrews wants everyone who's reading it to know Jesus is worthy of following. Turn back to Hebrews chapter three real quick. Chapter three, verse 12 through 14 are some of my favorite verses in this whole book. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. This is one of the other warning passages, by the way. Verse 13, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And now verse 14, underline this, highlight this, memorize this verse. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We have come to share in Christ. That's past tense, meaning that has happened, but it's conditional on if we hold our confidence firm to the end. That's how we understand these warning passages. He warns us not to fall away, and if we do, he says there's no chance for repentance. There's no chance for coming back. He says here in chapter three, we have come to share in Christ. We are his. We belong to him if we hold our confidence firm to the end. Church, I don't know what it might be that may be drawing you away from Christ, that may be drawing you to something else saying this will make your life so much easier, so much better. Whatever it is, do not believe it. Do not follow it. Hebrews is so plain and it's so clear to turn away from Christ is a death sentence, eternal death sentence. Y'all, Jesus is better than anything else the world has to offer. You need to know that and you need to believe that. There's so many things that want you to think that this is it. Come here and we've got everything you need. We'll take care of you. We'll make sure you're happy and healthy. And the Bible says Jesus is the only thing that can give what he promises. That's the gift of eternal life. He will give it. He will not let you down. Don't leave him. Don't forsake him. If you're struggling or thinking about turning to anything else, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep coming week after week here. Keep listening to the Bible preach. Keep reading the Bible yourself. Keep praying and asking God to keep you and to hold you, and he will. But let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who's the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He will not let us down. Let's pray. God, what a good reminder for us today from the book of Hebrews. There is nothing better than Jesus. There is nothing that can give us eternal life except your son, Jesus. 
God, I pray that you would help all of us, no matter where we are in this room, no matter how long we've been a believer, no matter how much we know about the Bible, God, I pray you would urge all of us to be growing in maturity because maturity matters. God, I pray you'd be reminding us of the severe consequences to leaving Jesus for anything else. God, may we see Jesus for who he really is, our savior, our hope. God, may we never forsake him for anything else. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.